the steeper that grip is, is the further it'll push that that force down on your on your palm. And the lower that force is on your palm from the throat of the grip, the more that you're going to translate energy into the bottom of the bow, which creates the bow to kick out the bottom. And Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, and this morning we have Hoyt President Zach Kurtzals on the podcast with me. How's it going, Zach? It's going good, Danny. How about yourself? Good, 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 good. We've uh, been struggling to get our schedules in, in line to be able to do this. Uh, launch was on December 8th, and you know here we are almost a week later, but we want to talk about the uh, 2022 bow lineup. Uh, there's some exciting things in the lineup, uh, lots to discuss. Um, you know, before we even get into that, though, I want to last time me and you were talking on this thing, we were just getting ready to go to Kansas and you were going to be hunting only a couple hours from me and wanted to find out, like, how'd that go? How'd Kansas go for you this year? Well, like an inexperienced whitetail hunter, I got, uh, I got tricked, you I got guess. Tricked? I guess that's the way I would say it, because <laughs> what I found wasn't what I thought I shot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny no. how that kind of thing can happen from a tree stand, from an yeah, elevated I, position. You know, I, I, and I, it's, I've, I've hunted quite a few mule deer and, and, uh, whitetail over the year from a tree stand. So I've dealt with that before, but I, I don't know what the situation was that created this, you know, what I thought I saw. I mean, I thought I was looking at 140 to 150 inch eight and I shot like 125 inch eight or 120 inch eight, but he's really tall. And, uh, you know, he, he came in out of a, out of a Milo field and, and an uncut, everything was late this year. Cause they had that late rain. Yeah. And, uh, so there was a big uncut Milo field that I was sitting on the edge of and he came in from behind me. And <clears throat> when he walked next to me, he was about five yards away and boy, it was like, yep. Checked all the boxes real quick in my head, drew back and the rest is history. Dude. I can't, I, I, like I was saying that elevated position, especially when you're looking down at them at a, <laughs> at a real steep angle. I think that that helps that to happen sometimes. And yeah. I, I, the first time I was ever involved with it, I was hunting with a buddy of mine from Louisiana and same thing. We, we he had, I can't remember whether it was an eight point or a nine point, but uh, he was under the impression he'd shot a one forties buck. And we go searching for this one forties buck following this blood trail up and I'm colorblind. I, I struggle with blood trailing. So a lot of times we'd given this deer time. A lot of times I'll just grid search in front of whoever's doing the blood trailing, you know, um, because it doesn't do me any good to look for the blood. <laughs> so I'm looking ahead and this deer jumps up and I mean, dude, it's a basket rack. I mean, it is just, it is just a little basket rack year and a half old buck with lots of potential, you know, and I, I was like, why isn't he running? This is not the buck we're looking for. And I, Jamie, look at this. And he looks at it and he's like, that's not the buck I shot. And I was like, well, he's, he's got a hole in his side. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and long story short, it ended up being the buck that he shot. And he was just, I, you know, we're talking 
I, I don't think this thing was 110 inches and he thought it was 140 inches, you know, and he was just, it was one of those songs that was steep downhill, you know? Um, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, I had the whole night cause <clears throat> when I shot him, he dropped, he dropped down into a river bottom and then, or a Creek bottom. And then he crossed through a little shelter belt and then he crossed into another Milo field. Yeah. And it was dark. Uh, I mean, we, we let him, we let him sit. We went to add dinner and we come back and it was probably, I don't know, eight o'clock. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we tracked him about 20 yards into that Milo field. And it's like, man, if we bump him yeah. out of here, I mean, I hit him pretty good, but you just, you know, it ain't over till it's over. And we yeah. just thought, boy, if we bump him in this Milo in the dark, we may never find him. It'll be hard to and, find. So we just backed out and then, uh, so the next morning, you know, we go in there and of course we were about 20, 25 yards from him when we, when we bailed, when we backed out the night before and, and just, you know, so I had the whole, the whole night thinking about this one forty one fifty class eight that I shot and how, oh man, I can't wait to get my hands on him. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And then we, I, you know, I'm following the guy in front of me and, He's like, Hey man, there he is. He turns around and gives me the fist bump. And I kind of lean over and look at it. And that's like, damn, that's not the buck I shot. <laughs> so there you have it. There you uh, have it. Well, um, prior to leaving on that hunt, one of the last things that I said to you on that podcast was dude, I, I love my RX five. Like I really like the rx5 and it man this doesn't happen for me uh very many times it's only happened once before i think but usually there's always some tag that uh um that i don't feel for whatever reason you know what i mean um whether it's my antelope or my elk tag or you know one of these tags i end up with tag soup this year every single tag that i bought something died. You know what I mean? It was a perfect season for me. And that was with the RX five primarily shot a couple things with the venom too. But, um, man, the RX five was going to be hard for me to put down. I told you that before we headed out on that, man, I am not looking forward to having to swap this bow out. And your comment to me was something like, you ain't going to have a problem. <laughs> and, uh, I immediately said, Oh, I'm not, I'm not. And he said, no, you're not going to have a hard time putting it down. And I of course pressed you for anything that I could get out of you, which was nothing. You guys are so stingy with him for, you won't even give little, little morsels of information out. But as soon as I got this RX seven in and took it out of the box, I mean, the first thing that hit me of course was the new streamlined what inline riser, what do you, what do you call this new carbon riser technology that we've got out on the RX seven? Now, is there an official name for it? I mean, it is, it is streamlined. There's no more tubes. There's no more carbon tubes that are kind of winding around. This is all one streamlined, narrow carbon riser that is lighter than the old version. Um, so <laughs> tell me Just a little bit about it just a different ph uh, philosophy when it came down to the, the project, you know, before we get too far into the technology type stuff, let me just say one thing. Okay. Like 
I can't say thanks enough to all of our consumers, dealers, everybody out there that makes these launches, you know, so much fun. Like it's been, it's been awesome. It, it's uh, it's surreal every year. It's exciting. You know, we work, the whole team works their tail off leading up to the launch time. And of course there's, you know, we have our naysayers just like everybody else, but man, we sure have a great group of, of uh, consumers and dealers out there that support our products. So before we jump into that stuff, I just want to take a second to say thanks to them for making this an awesome launch and thanks for um, making every launch uh, fun for us. Uh, hope it's as fun for them as it is for us. So um, with that said, we'll get into, I don't know if there's any specific technology, like there's no name here. You would you would be bored if I gave you the scientific name of what this handle is. So um, from a, from an internal, but it's still tubes. They're just not round. And uh, that's one of the things that's a little bit different. Probably the biggest thing that, that when you, th when you look at the RX seven is um, there's no aluminum heads. So over the years from all the way back to from matrix, you know, element spider, Defiant all the way, um, you know, the R, the, the original, you know, the RX one, two, I mean, the RX one was the, the same frame as the Defiant, but you, you know, all of those bows, they all had an aluminum head top right. and bottom, which, which that's where we would, you know, we would epoxy the, the aluminum head to the carbon and, and it's how we, it, it allowed us to use a single frame, which I call the handle of frame. And uh, that would allow us to use that single frame and build a, an ultra geometry and a short geometry and those types of things. And so that was beneficial from a manufacturing side, but you know, those aluminum heads made it difficult to, to start to really get the weight down. And right. I would say, I would say that was kind of our gen one carbon, right? All the way from matrix to, to RX five. So we're when, talking about when you're looking at, like I'm looking at my RX five right now, mm -hmm. where the tubes end, and all of the tubes terminate into that one piece, that whole piece that connects to your, uh, that connects to your limb pocket. That's all one big aluminum piece when yep. it was uh, RX five and before. Yep. And we call that the head. Okay. And so, um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big, uh, change in design strategy. So the, uh, RX seven with, you know, we still have a short and we still have an ultra, and today, those are two very different handles. Um, they're not even manufactured in the same place. So, like, they come, you know, we, we now have ultra handles and we have the short handles, which I've actually seen a couple of questions pop up. In, you're going uh, to confuse the heck out of people because when you say handle to me, I'm thinking grip. But it, it, you're referring to the riser as yeah. a handle. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I've, I've seen some people asked some questions about like, so why didn't they use the new RX seven handle when they built the turbo? Right. And so the RX seven short and the RX seven ultra, those were designed with a specific geometry in mind. And that geometry didn't match the requirements to make a bow shoot an arrow 350 feet a second. So that's why we didn't build the turbo version, you know, of the RX seven. So we utilized the RX five handle for that. Um, so yeah, so you got, that's probably the biggest thing that allowed us to get down below that four pound. I know, you know, people really, uh, and, and rightfully so people really drive the question of why it's so heavy, why so heavy 
all these years and, and, you know, they really want the ultimate lightweight carbon bow. And so it's something that we're trying to do as well. We're trying to get underneath those, those, uh, whatever prohibitive weight, you know, levels in over the years, uh, that four pound line has been a pretty, pretty big line drawn in the sand. And so we got there with the, with the RX seven this year. Um, couple other things. I mean, I, you know, we're talking about a grip, a significant uh, upgrade in a grip. We really, ex- we're really excited about that grip. Um, we lowered the the grip angle. So to the shooter, it's a little bit flatter. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, what was wrong with the grip on the RX five? It's like, well, nothing, but the reasons that we lowered this grip angle was um, it reduces the amount of kick that comes from the bow. So okay. When you think about, you know, if a grip is, has a, um, a steeper angle, meaning it pushes more into your palm, mm-hmm. like let's say the RX seven grip is flatter and the RX five grip was a little steeper. Right. Than that. So the idea being that the steeper that grip is, is the further it'll push that, that force down on your, on your palm. Right. And the lower that force is on your palm from the throat of the grip, the more that you're going to translate energy into the bottom of the bow, which creates the bow to kick out the bottom. Recoil. And so when we talk about, you know, you and I've talked about this in one of our other podcasts, which was, you know, really what is a consumer or dealer looking for consumers? What are they looking for? And it's, it's, man, it's, it's hand shock, residual vibration, noise. I mean, those are like the one, tops. two, three. Right. And then, and then you get into like, so how much does it weigh and how fast does it shoot? And does it look good? And is it cool? What colors, what camels and so on. And, and so just in our constant quest for, um, a better shot feel, you know, that drove us to, to develop and, and put this grip in play. And, and the, the grip angle is the same, uh, on the new venom pro as well. So, um, you know, a couple of things there, you know, this year, of course, we have the integrated, um, the pick rail. Well, I, I want to stop you real quick before we go to the pick rail on okay. that, on this grip, which you guys are calling your vital point grip. This is a, a little quick testimonial for me. I am a grip taker offer. Okay. All the grips prior to this, I take it off and I'm shooting the bear riser. I've always liked that more. Um, I felt like, it was less surface area that my hand was making contact with and the, the lines on it seemed to be more repeatable for how they fit into my hand. Mm-hmm. And honest to goodness, this is the first one where I don't plan. And this is the first, I'm talking the first one in 15 years that I don't plan to take the grip off. Like it feels good in your hand. You know, the first few shots that I took, you, like you were talking about, um, recoil, uh, vibration, noise. It, the goal is to minimize these things without losing any performance. And while also possibly with a, especially with a carbon bow, lightening the bow. Or, or, and that's, that's a tremendous, tremendously difficult thing to do because generally speaking, everything is a trade-off. Everything that you do to this bow is a trade-off where you gain in one spot. You might be losing in another spot, but you guys did it. The first few shots that I took with this thing, it is noticeably quieter. And I think that the official uh, uh, word from you guys is 
29% less vibration. Um, and we'll go into how you did some of these things, but a big part of it in, in my book is how that grip feels when you're shooting the bow. And what I found was that I was shooting it next to my RX-5, which I felt like was a very quiet, smooth drawing, um, uh, shock-free bow, and it was fully loaded with accessories. And now I am shooting the RX-7, shooting the exact same arrow out of it with nothing on it other than a rest and the, the, the small stabilizer that you guys send with the bow. Um, and it felt just as good as the RX-5 with absolutely no accessories on it, you know? Um, and a lot of it I felt was because of the change in the grip. Like they, it definitely contributed to it. So anyway, now we can, uh, I, I definitely am a fan of the grip and the Picatinny rail was where you were uh, going with your next comment. Yeah. You know, I'll, I want to say one other thing about the grip. It's funny when you get a group of people like the engineering team that we have at Hoyt, some, yeah. you know, just this group that's so tremendously passionate about bow hunting, about, you know, shooting bows, target archery, you name it. And you get a group of us in the room and you want to, you want to, you, you, you look at a project like a grip and you think, yeah, I mean, shouldn't be that difficult. Oh, oh man. Well, let me tell you what I want, what, what, you know, what Brian gold wants, what Daniel wants, what, you know, what Gideon or Kevin or Doug or any of those guys, it's like, I mean, it really is, a, you know, it, it's the combination of, you know, the, I think the best of every grip that we've, we could think about, like what we want from a, from a cosmetic standpoint, from a shape, from a, how it, you know, how your hand fits on it to the, to the durometer, which is the hardness of the, of the urethane piece or the rubber. And, you know, how, how hard do we want it? Do we want it soft? If it, if it's too soft, is it tacky? Does that create tuning issues? It's like just on and on and on. And so, um, yeah, it's not, when we do a grip, it's a, it's in a my, it's serious like project. you were talking about when you're throwing all these guys, in my opinion, the grip on a bow is the most individually subjective piece of equipment that there is other than the release. And a lot of that is because of this different size and shapes of people's hands, you know, for the same reason that I can't paper tune this bow and then hand it over to somebody else and expect that it's going to be tuned the exact same way for them because of how their hand fits in the grip, how they hold the bow, all of those ind individual things. Each grip's going to feel different to people depending upon the size and shape of their hands. So you are going to have different people that want different things. And you guys have this daunting task of trying to come up with the one that is a good compromise for everyone. Indeed. That's tough. I can't imagine. Well, you hit the mark for Danny Ferris's hand on this grip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All know right. how you did with everybody else, but I was impressed. Yeah. We've always talked about like, it's the, it's the first thing that, a, you know, the first thing that a consumer sees is the cosmetic. Like, is it, is it pleasing to the eye? Mm -hmm. But the first thing they touch is the grip. That's right. And uh, that's the, that's our first impression, right? Well, how does that feel? How does it look, feel those types of things? And so it's important piece. You know, when we talk about the pick rail, of course we had the, uh, the pick rails last year, 
on the uh, RX five and it, but it was an, it was sort of an add on, right. It was a, it was an adapter plate that you would bolt on same with the, uh, with the venom. And so there was a lot of, I don't know if that was difficulties, but there was a lot of, uh, logistics to deal with, you know, getting, you know, other manufacturer, other site manufacturers on board, making sure we had a good offering out there to really support the idea of that pick rail. And we call it, that's part of our inline accessory system. And, you know, as we moved into this year, it was like, man, it's gotta be integrated. Like right. we, we just, we just want it on everything. We want it on every bow because the, there was pretty strong success for those sites, to, regardless of which company, you know, uh, people decided to use, um, those sites were pretty successful in the market. And so, you know, the ultimate reason for that is we, like, we create that inline accessory system is the whole idea is about how do we get the quiver and the arrows closer to the bow? Um, you know, and, and so that was where the whole site thing was born from, mm -hmm. um, seeing how much of that we, and then on top of that, when you move that to the middle of the riser like that, Mm -hmm. in that direction, then you end up with uh, less counterbalance to deal with. You know, when you hang that side off of a, a bracket, that's three eighths of an inch thick and it's on the outside edge of the handle. And then you got to deal with that. It's all balanced stuff, right? Just and, creating more side load. And stabilization has become major technology over the last, or maybe not major technology, but certainly major uh, point of interest, point right. of focus about, you know, making sure you get your bow set up with your stabilization correct so that it balances right. You get faster target accrual. Um, you know, you you have a much um, slower moving aim, you know, so just makes it every archer just that much better. And so it's all kind of about building a system. And that's I th that's the way we're really focusing these days is it's about it's not just a bow anymore, right? I mean, for, for so many years, it was just how much faster can we go? How much does it weigh? What's it feel like? What's it sound like? But now it's like, you know, what's the system? Um, you know, we make great accessories. We've got an awesome accessory line coming out this year. Oh, I saw and, the uh, quivers the other day and I am chomping at the bit. Um, <laughs> those look yeah. awesome. But all of that, right? It's all focus. It's it's not the bow and then the accessories. It's it's the bow and the accessories together. Mm -hmm. We we create that design philosophy and and uh, I think what you're going to see. I mean, you if you look at our website, you'll see you know you'll see the inline system predominantly featured on our website because it's something that um, we believe strongly in. Right, right. Well, it <clears throat> the more that you can do to get that balance in the center of the bow and eliminate some of that side load over on the uh, uh, on the accessory side of the bow, so to speak, the quiver side of the bow, uh, the less weight that you've got to put on the other side to counterbalance. And then there's some people that are hunting that, like for me, you know, I have a hard time running a side uh, stabilizer when I'm in a hunting situation because there's so many times where, you know, I want that trim lightweight package. You know what I mean? Um, and the closer you get all that weight to the center of the bow, the less need there is for that counterbalancing weight, you know? Um, so the, that pick rail, the cool thing is you can, you can use the Picatinny rail or you can mount right on the side of it, just like you always have. 
um, whether it's mounting a quiver there or whether it's mounting your site the same way that you always have, you know, you just yeah. have a brand new option right there. Yeah. The two site mount holes that are 1.313 inches apart and have been since the beginning of, uh, I guess, site mount holes on bows, you know, those are still there. Yeah. So the, you know, if somebody chooses to shoot a site system that doesn't come with the pick rail, or they just prefer to have that, uh, you know, the older mounting system, um, that's all still available. You know, a couple other things that you'll see, and, and we're kind of talking around the short and the long here, you know, the short, we got a 30 inch axle axle, six and a quarter inch brace height, um, 3.9 pound bow, something, some other things that you're going to see is like, you know, we have, we call them our shock pods, right? And so it's that rubber dampening system that we use um, to kill the vibration that's in the system. And so that, that doesn't get translated into, into the end users. And that, that's really helps us. And this year, you know, we've, we've fielded some questions about, well, why, why are they on the same side of the bow? And, and to be honest with you, it's just about tinkering, right? When, when it really comes down to it, when you, we started tinkering with positional, um, locations of these, and we got to a place where we actually found the best vibration dampening came from having one on the bottom left and one on the top left. If you're holding the bow, like you'd normally shoot it, those would be the locations. So, right. um, it's not unusual for us to have to completely redesign that from a mass distribution standpoint, because, um, the vibration dampening aspect of tech, you know, uh, of a shock pod, it's what it's there is it's, it's there to kill energy, mm -hmm. but it's also depends on the frequency of the vibration and the amplitude. So, you know, how I, I'm talking a little bit engineering speak here, but frequency and vibration, you know, frequency, low fre frequencies are, you know, low tones, high frequency. If I'm thinking about noise, mm -hmm. high frequencies is like really fine vibrations. Mm -hmm. So it takes a different, um, tool to kill those different frequencies. And then amplitude is how, how high or how much of that, you know, is it, is it a really strong vibration or is it a really weak vibration? I guess is the best way I could explain it at this point. And so it's not unusual when you do a complete riser design, when you go from zero to brand new to have to go design a completely new vibration dampening tool mm -hmm. or, you know, so this one is our second generation of shock pods. And the reason we did it is because, uh, I think the first generation was on the first generation was on hyperforce maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we were able to use the one. And then I think we designed this one for Axios, if I remember right. And that was it. We were, we took a, you know, we took the vibration profile and we said, well, this is what we need to kill. And this is how we're going to do it. And so then we developed that shock pod. And so it's not unusual for us to have to do that. But in this case, we were able to just change the location of them and voila. So one of the things that I've heard about the shock pods this year is that this year they are being connected directly to the barrel that the limb bolt screws into and that there was some benefit to going directly to that barrel versus indirectly into it like it was last year if you look at the shock pods on a carbon rx5 they were kind of in the they were in the head uh mounted in the head 
um, at the end of one of the tubes on the bottom of the bow. This year, they're top and bottom, and, but they're only on the left side of the bow for a right-handed bow. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're mounted directly into that, uh, I- into that um, barrel that your limb bolt drives down into. Now, is there some benefit to having them in that position? Well, there's benefit to having them in that position, but not necessarily what you may be thinking. Okay. You may be thinking that since that, you know, barrel nut is where the limb bolt goes through that, you know, that's the best place, but there's so many different uh, variables that go into that. It just so happens that from a location standpoint, right, that was or is the best location. And when you think about it on a carbon bow, there's not a whole lot of options because we don't have that aluminum head up there anymore, right. which is what was, which is what we screwed those into on the RX five. So when we eliminated that aluminum head, it was like, well, okay, so how are we going to kill the vibration? We've got this shock pod system that we use. It screws into aluminum. And, uh, what we found was that by building it into the barrel nut on this bow, on this particular bow, it gave us the best results. Mm. Um, but it's not necessarily, it's not because that's where the carbon and the aluminum meet. It's not just, it's not one variable. You know, there's a lot of variables, you know, there's, um, I'm not going to, I don't want to drill that deep into this. Right. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, well, so the, uh, the, the other thing that having both the shock pods on that side does is help to rebalance the bow. Once you're adding a quiver on the other side of the bow. Yep. Quiver sight rest, even, you know, with our rest, that Q80 integrate system, we still have that in place. Again, uh, one more piece of that inline system is, is just about getting everything closer, uh, to the, to the, that side of the bow to, to eliminate or to reduce the amount of offset weight you have to have. So, yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about the, uh, HBX pro cam and what, was changed i mean uh looking at it on paper at least i you know i shoot the ultra or the long version long handle as you call it um and the the ibo speeds for this year's version versus last year's version is identical so it doesn't seem to me like there were uh big geometry changes on the force draw curve uh from cam system cam system but what changes were made on this pro cam system. So a um, couple of things you got to, to, to mention are traditionally the ultra would have, uh, would have had a 12 inch limb. Okay. Um, cause it was built on the same platform, i.e. the handle or you, I mean, I call them risers too, but not everybody knows what that is. Right. You know, because I have a riser on my snowmobile and that's okay. just to get my handlebars taller. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, but, but Okay. So the, so the longer handle on the ultra this year, like the handle is longer than traditional than the ultra has traditionally been. And the reason we did that was it allowed us to use an 11 inch limb, not only on the short, but also on the ultra. So reduction of that limb length reduces vibration, right? Cause we're, we don't have this, this leaf spring beam that's 12 inches long now, now it's 11. So it acts a little stiffer and it doesn't vibrate as much. Um, and when you do that, so what we were tasked with over the years was taking a cam and going, designing it for really good on the 11 and really good on the 12, 
Mm-hmm. And those two beams have different stack rates. So we would really focus at one versus the other, or, you know, try to hit that middle, middle of the road, so to speak. So with this platform, we were able to, um, this is just one of the things, right? Because the Venom 33 still uses the Venom Pro 33 still uses a, uh, a 12 inch limb. Okay. But what we found was in our first, we just learned some stuff when it comes mm-hmm. to binary, right? Cause we were in cam and a half since 2003. Yeah. And then, you know, our foray into the binary cam system was like, okay. So when you talk about where you put cable tracks related to where the string track is and how that is lining up to the center of the bow and all of these things are lever arms, you're storing energy. How is that energy transmitted into the arrow? What does it do from a tuning standpoint? You know, all of these different variables go into play. And so as a, you know, as, as just a general um, archer, you may not be able to see the, the things that we did, but what we were trying to do was improve efficiency, albeit it would be a very small number, but at, while at the same time um, improving tunability and the, the HBX didn't have any significant tuning problems. I mean, you know, there's a bell curve for all of this from an engineering standpoint, when we talk about, you know, let's say we're trying to hit the middle of the, of the group. So if 90% of people have no issues with tunability, then we've really knocked it out of the park. I, I don't know if we ever get to 90%, that, that bell curve, right? That middle of the group. Um, and so that's, we were trying to improve that, try to get more people into that bell curve. And so just some, some upgrades from that standpoint, a little bit more efficient, a little bit smoother draw, and then uh, a better, better tunability for a wider group of people. Um, so uh, back to the short handle versus long handle are both now using the 11 inch, uh, the 11 inch um, limb both what the the short handle rx7 and the long so the ultra and the regular rx7 are both of them using an 11 inch limb so there's the yes. hbx pro is designed for the the best uh you're, you're not having to balance what's going to be best between one limb and another limb like you were before no we still do it on the we still do it on the venom 33 on, on the venom 33 yeah yep <clears throat> And that, so, and so we were able to, you know, make those tweaks and, and keep that energy storage because the Venom 33 didn't lose any performance either, right. but some of those gains are out of that efficiency gain that we picked up. So, um, and that usually trans, I mean, and we're talking percents here, not lots of percentage points. It's just, you know, I, when we would have our dealer schools, I'd tell dealers all the way, if we got an extra one or 2% out of these things, we'd be dancing a jig in the background in the back of the, in the lab. And you guys would be wondering why we were so excited about it. And it's, you know, yeah, it's just a little engineering piece of that puzzle, which when these bows are efficient, like crazy efficient and, you know, ours are, our competitors are like, this is, there's some serious engineering going on when it comes to cam development and, and the amount of efficiency that we're getting out of a closed system. Um, We're in the, you know, those 85% ranges. It's unbelievable when you think about, um, friction and heat buildup and vibration and all that's energy stuff that's taking away from your, your overall efficiency that fundamentally turns into speed for you. Right. 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 So, so 
uh, it's splitting frog hairs these days is what you're yeah. saying over <laughs> yes. and over again. Indeed. Um, the, the incremental uh, advancements that you're making is compared to what you were making back in the nineties, let's say, or the early two thousands, there were, there were pretty big jumps in the nineties, right. From mm-hmm. year to year. Um, yeah, we were, well, and, and it, you know, I mean, we're getting, oh, this is going to be a, this could be a wide detour we're going down here, but you know, back then it was more, we were still getting the, the archers used to the amount of energy, right? Cause if, if you would have taken the HBX pro cam and dropped that in the middle of archery world in 2000 or 95, right. Then they would have never shot it. They would have hated it. I mean, yeah, they would have hit consumers in general would have hated it because the amount of energy that you have to store, you know, even back, like back then, I mean, think about 2003 was an X tech. Like that thing went 308. Right. Like that was like, (laughs) woo, we're smoking. We're 308. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't remember when we hit 330 somewhere around that out. I don't even think, I don't think alpha max was 330. I think it was sometime after that, but just the, the, we had to just, it's why the industry kind of incrementally went up, right? Cause there were some burner cams back then. Heck spiral cams were around in 03 and everybody hated them unless right. you were just a straight up speed freak. Right. No, everybody hated them. And so it was just about that incremental gain three feet a year, mm-hmm. three feet a year, three feet a year, three feet a year. And then we kind of hit that plateau and it's kind of around that 340, And then we get the, the turbos in the 350 range, but you know, yeah, the public wouldn't have liked that back right. in the 90s <laughs> man we're dating ourselves because i can remember the the launch in 2003 because it was the year that you launched uh cam and a half and mm-hmm. i i believe the tech riser wasn't it oh no the tech riser was in 95 or 96 oh, okay on the, okay on the um, alpha tech so in i remember the cam and a half launch real well and but i did not remember that it was only 308 feet per second <laughs> like that's, that's, that's crazy. Now, um, have you ever gone back and like drawn one of those old spiral cam bows that were shooting a little faster than and compared it to what the draw force curve feels like it's, today? Well, I mean, we use the SVX today. It's the same. It's still built on the same premise as the original spiral. Really? You know, it's got a few differences and, you know, um, track locations. And now that now it's modular way back then it was all draw link specific cams, but, yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's funny because spiral cams are they don't store near the energy these new cams do. And back right. then it was like nobody, yeah, I don't want that thing. Right, that's right, a mon- right. That's a monster. So a lot <laughs> of it's just uh, waiting for the uh, consumers' expectations to evolve, so to speak. Sure. Yeah, and they've evolved over the years. Yeah, if you're you know think of it this way, if you're you know, if you're lifting weights and you lift a five pounder every day, and then I hand you a six pounder and you lift that one every day. Yeah. Pretty soon that's no big deal. And then I hand you a seven pounder and pretty soon you're in no, you know, it's just over the years as, as, as the companies, you know, as Hoyt and the other, and our competitors, as we were sort of storing more energy and going faster, because that's what the public wanted. Everybody just got used to it a little bit at a time, right. a little bit at a time. So, yeah. So, um, on to a couple of other small features that help reduce vibration and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, help with speed as well. 
um, the things that we've got on the string here, the, the stealth shot uh, string suppressors. Yeah. And I, I don't Hulk. know what you call this speed piece, weights, the speed weights. So and the whole shot and the whole shot. Yeah. Um, or tell me what all goes into testing all of those. Well, we have a full blown sound room and okay. uh, it's equipped with a three axis accelerometer, which an accelerometer is just a uh, instrument that measures vibration and mm-hmm. three axis is X, Y, Z. Uh, when you, when you think about a coordinate system, if, if I'm talking to our listeners, you know, if, uh, if X is, let's say X is to the left and Y is straight up and Z is into your computer screen, mm-hmm. that'd be three different axes or axes. Um, so we measure that. So we have an input, right? We use a 350 grain arrow. We measure it there. We'll measure it with a 400 grain arrow and we, we develop, um, we measure the, the amount of vibration that's output, um, the amount of noise that's output from, from the input. So, you know, 70 pound bow, 30 inch draw, those types of things, same, basically the same setup as we measure speed with. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we crunch all that data and develop a, a baseline of, you know, where a previous product is or where we're a product that we're trying to benchmark or what have you trying to figure out what's the best. And then we, we go after that. And that's when it comes into, you know, tuning, you know, shock pods and hole shots and string suppressors or um, yeah, the string, string damper, um, which is uh, the stealth shot, mm-hmm. all of those different things. It's it, they all work together to reduce noise, reduce vibration. And, and then you go all the way out to the limb ends, right? Like the limb shocks, um, all that different stuff. That's that it's all in the name of creating the, the best, shooting experience for the end consumer so here's a maybe a tough question um there's so many guys that i know of that go out and the first thing they do when they buy a new bow is slap a a set of custom strings on there and i have you know there's several different manufacturers that they use a variety of them some of them don't have the weights put in the same place are some of those people shooting themselves in the foot and not and they don't yeah the 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 speedway locations are extremely critical. They drive a massive amount of efficiency gains and there's different opinions about the why. And I won't get into that because it's kind of hard to explain without looking at like some, some high speed video, but uh, yeah, from a, from a tunability standpoint, from a, from a speed and efficiency standpoint, if you don't put those weights in the right spot, mm-hmm. then you're definitely shooting yourself in the foot and we don't, you know, traditionally over the years in the archery industry, people have just used knock sets mm-hmm. and we don't use knock sets. We use a brass cylinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember how long it is. It's probably about three quarters of an inch. And uh, that brass cylinder represents a certain amount of knock sets as a weight bank. But what we didn't like about knock sets was that if a consumer dry fired a bow um, or had a knock that was broke, or, you know, whatever the litany of problems potentially could be. And essentially they dry fired a bow. What we found was that it wasn't unusual for a knock set to come flying off of there, like a 22 round. Really? And so, yeah. Um, I mean, they're just, they're soft, you know, brass yeah. and they're just clamped on there. And yeah. so that's why we developed the system that we did. Um, so that in a dry fire scenario, 
those those weights don't come off. They don't go anywhere and they're shrink. Right. They're, but if you don't if you don't get them in the right spot, your bow's slowing down. Right. Or if you you know if you choose um, more strand count, your bow's slowing down. Or if your string material that comes from an aftermarket string maker has higher wax content, your bow's slowing down. Like you know, um, serving choice. You know, there's lots of different options from Majesty to Halo to, um, gosh, I, I can't 62 excess and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the list goes on and on, uh, about what options you have out there. So listen, the, there's some fantastic aftermarket string manufacturers out there mm-hmm. and in an attempt to stay fair and neutral i won't name one or the other but there are some really good ones out there those guys what those guys do right they make strings and they make cables and they do it they do a darn good job of it um but so do we right we make really good strings and cables and there was a time when we didn't and there was a time when this industry didn't right um and that's you know you know all the way back to the sort of the guys that started the 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 high performance string thing um I'm not going to say their name, but right. <laughs> right. they're the ones that started this game and they, and they pushed the, you know, thankfully that they thankful that they did. Cause they really pushed us as an industry to get better. And so, you know, I, I shoot our strings. Yeah. Um, I could shoot whatever I want, I suppose, but right. man, our stuff's awesome. Right. Well, um, in this lineup, uh, you know, the, the word flagship is always used, but, our, our flagships are the Carbon RX-7 and the Carbon RX-7 Ultra, and they are definitely the ones with the biggest changes this year. Um, and they're, of course, I'm referring to the RX-7 Ultra as the one that I pulled out of the box, and I was just amazed with and excited. And what you said to me proved to be true, that I'm not going to have as hard a time putting the RX-5 down as I thought that I was going to. But let's move down the bowline just a little bit to the uh, the the Venom Pro 30 and Pro 33 and talk uh, a little bit about those. And, and you've already mentioned the turbo, um, the twin turbo. We can, if there's anything to add on that one, we can address that too, but just talk about a couple more, more of the bows further down the line. So what's the, uh, talk a little bit about the Venom pros. First thing to say is, is the Venoms are also flagships, right? So this is something that, that, you know, lots of, lots of time I'll, you know, read stuff on social media or, or people's input or thoughts and, and, um, the carbon bow may not be for everybody. Like okay. it's a big price tag. We rec- we recognize that. We think, I mean, we believe it's worth it, right. but you know, we're just as proud, absolutely just as proud of our Venom lineup um, as we are of the RX-7. I mean, there's no less technology, um, blood, sweat, and tears hours spent in the office trying to optimize that bow as, as there is on a carbon bow. And so, um, you know, I shot a, I shot a Venom Pro 33 this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was getting ready for that elk hunt that we talked about. And it was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Cause I got, I got one. I can, ha- I get going on it right now. And so, you know, I can shoot either one of those bows, but I chose to shoot the venom 33 pro this year. Um, and I don't, I, I just don't want people to think that they, that they had to downgrade. Cause that's not what we believe. Right. You know, whatever, whichever one of these bows you choose, 
we believe you'll have the ultimate shooting experience. And that that's our goal is to provide that. And right. so, yeah, on the Venom 33 and the Venom 30, those platforms, again, uh, they have the flatter grip. They have the new vital point grip uh, on them. They have the integrated Picatinny rail and uh, they have the new HBX Pro. And then, you know, from there, you we've got a lighter riser. So we optimize that riser as much as possible. Um, new shock pod locations, lots of similarities from a technology and from a feature standpoint to the carbon bow, a little bit heavier, of course, right. it's a, it's an aluminum handle versus a carbon handle. Right. And, uh, but yeah, from a, from a flagship standpoint, yeah, we, you know, we like to say, um, we've got a bow f- for everybody. And sure. if, if the carbon bow price tag is too much for you, you got to check out the venom or, right. or if you just, if you're just an aluminum guy, check out the venom. Right. Venom Pro. I mean, that lineup is, is solid. Solid as can be. And it, the Venom 33, uh, Pro 33, um, it, it doesn't it have a little bit higher IBO rating as well? Um, Boy, put me on the spot on that one. I'm not sure <laughs> I can. I can cheat and look at this website. No, it, it actually is saying the. I think it's the same. That it is the same. It is the same. Now, last year, I think the Venom, the longer, the Venom Ultra um, was a little bit faster than yeah. the RX5. Yeah. And it, and the thing you got to remember is there a little bit geometry. There's a little bit geometric difference, right? The, the, the Ultra, the Carbon Ultra is seven brace height and 34 axle to axle. And the Venom 33 Pro or the Venom Pro 33 is 33 inches axle to axle and slightly shorter, six and some change brace height. And so um, for me, I'm a 31 inch draw when I'm shooting a hunting bow. And Which so I'm ridiculous. At, You're not that tall, man. I you got. Yeah, but I got like a 77 inch wingspan. That's crazy. <laughs> I should play basketball. <laughs> I did. So <laughs> my, my ankles gave up. So, um, but for me, where I land in that draw range is perfect because I'm at the very top, which is right. the most where the most efficiency is right on on the ultra. And, and listen, when I'm again, I get too far down into this engineering speak, the efficiency at 31 on an ultra versus 32 on an ultra. It's boy, it's tight. It's so split um, frog hairs. Yeah, yeah, split yeah. frog hairs. I guess we'll, we use that as a as an as a technology uh, explanation. <laughs> Danny Ferris says we're splitting frog hairs. So, um, but yeah, um, so it's a little bit different draw range when you get to the the thirty three. Uh, it maxes out at thirty one inch draw on the ultras. They max out at thirty two. Thirty three is a little bit heavier. Uh, Ultra is a longer platform with longer brace height. So. Um, you know, you're going to give up a little bit of speed potentially. I can't remember where we IBO. You say IBO, which is dangerous because that's not the, we use ATA. Yeah. ATA. Yeah. Um, it's old habit. Yeah. Yeah. So old habit. So uh, tell us a little bit about the turbo and uh, the, I, I can see that the turbo is a slightly different setup as far as it's got a head on it. Yeah, so it's using that previous um, carbon frame that the RX-5 was built off of. Right. And, um, you know, we felt like since we moved into the binary cam system that uh, it only made sense for us to bring the turbo along in that space. Um, 
And so that's why we, that's why we decided to put one in the line. You know, we kicked around the idea of bringing a, an aluminum turbo into the line as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we're just trying to, I don't know which, if there's a right answer here or not, but trying to simplify the line a little bit, you know, here yeah. we'll put the turbo on the, the carbon side and, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're darned if we do and darned if we don't, so to right. speak in that space. Cause I'm sure people are wishing we would have done a, an aluminum turbo as well, but we're excited about that bow. I mean, it's, you know, it's a legit 350 foot per second bow at that 30 inch uh, axle or 30 inch draw length position. We like the, the, uh, the geometry of that bow and uh, yeah, it's a speed bow for the carbon guy or for the speed guy in general. Right. If for anybody right. who wants to go that fast, um, the high line, big guys, big guys. That's a, yeah. That's about high lines about long draw. What is it? The range on that thing's like 29 to 34. Wow. Is that right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. So yeah, yeah you're talking about, offensive tackles yeah you're i was about to say your <laughs> offensive tackles um and the basketball players yeah so um but we're excited we're really excited about that bow because last year the double xl which has been an awesome bow for us in this category um but it was still you know it was still living on the zt cam system and so it was kind of it was similar to what the turbo was right last year the turbo was still living in the zt and it was just kind of bringing that along but we did a complete redesign um brand new handle you know everything uh, on that highline bow and uh man are we glad we did it it really hit the mark for sure um but yeah similar um very similar technologies it has a family look to the ventums and um you know it, the focus of that bow was to design a, a bow that's a, that gives a, you know, a big dude an option. Right. Right. It's a beefy looking riser on that thing. Um, the eclipse, the last but not least. Yeah. Well, we had the eclipse last year, so it's not new, but we well, did upgrade it. We added the, uh, we made a slight change to the riser design and that was just so that we could, uh, add the Picatinny rail. Um, and it's got the same, same system that the original venom had. So it's a bolt on pick rail. Um, it comes with everyone, you, you know, when you buy that, when you buy an eclipse bow, um, it comes in the package, just, just like it, it has just like it did last year on the venoms. So the, the eclipse has a, been a great little bow for us. I mean, you know, everybody says, Oh, why don't you make, why don't you make, you know, us a 70 pound version of the eclipse? And it's like, yeah, we do. It's called the venom. because you know the eclipse is designed uh for that smaller stature person you know whether it's a lady or a a a younger cameron haynes (laughs) (laughs) i don't build 90 pound i don't build 90 pound eclipses man cam i'm just joking brother i love you Uh, but uh but it's been a it's been a great bow i mean it's it's got a little bit of a cult following i would say and so we're excited about that bow having it in the line and and being able to upgrade it a little bit um so yeah it's it's one of those niche categories probably similar to a high line because it's you know it's not necessarily for everybody it's for a little bit smaller stature person and and uh stores a little bit less energy which is why we really can focus on making it lightweight lighter weight and uh but yeah, it's an awesome lineup. Like I said, our, one of our focuses is making sure that we have something for everybody. Yeah. Well, all 
all of the bows, the all of the lineup should be at dealers now, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so to get your hands on one and, you know, like we've talked about before, everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has a different preference. It's important to shoot all of them. It's important to, uh, uh, test drive them. Um, and so all you got to do is get down to your local Hoyt, Hoyt dealer and, uh, and they should have them in stock and should have them there ready for you to, uh, put to the test on the shooting line. Yeah, we shipped a lot of bows out of here uh, the week before, and uh, UPS was loving you. Yeah, they they're struggling. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But that's okay. I mean, they they were dealing with uh, Cyber Monday and Black Friday and all of that stuff, and right in front of our launch, and so plus the, just the chaos of the world we live in today. But yeah, you know, we got a lot of bows out. Um, there's already been a, a ton of input, a, a ton of you know people loving them, buying them, taking them out of shops. So. Um, we're excited. We're excited for what the year has to offer. Well, my hat's off to you because I thought when you told me that I wasn't going to mind putting my RX five down, that you were blowing marketing hype at me. <laughs> and I, I was wrong. I you were absolutely telling the truth, man. This thing, uh, it, I, I said something about it on my social media the other day and I had a couple guys, Oh, you, you, you know, uh, give me a little grief because they thought I was just flat out average shamelessly advertising for you or something. But I was like, <laughs> no, this is my honest opinion. If you've been s- sitting back and waiting for the year where you should upgrade, in my opinion, this is it. If you're sitting back on a four or five year old bow and just waiting for that one where you're like, uh, you've been dragging your feet, go shoot this one. See if you don't agree with me. Um, it, it's, I don't know if it's as lucky as my RX five was. We'll find <laughs> out, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a shooter, man. You hats off to your entire team. Thanks, Ben. Hey, so, uh, before, before we wrap this up, Hey, congratulations to your boy, man. He had a hell of a football season, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes. Wow. He did. They, uh, they won the conference championship for the first time in, I don't know, 20 some odd years and uh, went to the playoffs, had a t- tough playoff defeat. But yeah, he did. He did pretty darn well. Well, congrats <laughs> we to were, him and to you. We we're proud of him. We we're proud of him. Good job, Lane Ferris. Good job, Western Colorado. A little shout out to Western Colorado <laughs> football. Um, well, I appreciate it, Zach. Always fun talking to you, brother. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. And we'll uh, catch you on, a next, on the next episode. All right. Thanks, Danny.